This podcast is supported by Oliver White. Oliver White educators, coaches, and mentors can help bring your company to the level of Class A business excellence because they have done it themselves at their own companies. All of our principals have extensive first-hand experience in operating and managing business processes to the highest standards. We don't just tell you how to improve your business processes. We give you the knowledge to make it happen. You can find Oliver White, that's W-I-G-H-T, online at www.oliverwhite-americas.com or by calling 800-258-3862. Now, on to the podcast. Cybercrime is rampant in the supply chain. And whether you believe it or not, your supply chain is definitely at risk. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Cyber criminals are endlessly creative. The risk of infiltration or fraud today goes well beyond somebody hacking into your website. You might find yourself a victim of fraudulent logistics services offered over the Internet. A trusted vendor could end up holding your shipment for ransom. And, of course, undetected spyware could reveal sensitive corporate information to unscrupulous operators. Those are just a few of the modern-day threats to global supply chains. On today's show, we'll hear about some of the most devious scams from my guest, Peregrine Stores Fox. He is Risk Management Director of Through Transport Mutual Services UK Limited with global insurance provider TT Club. Stores Fox lays out the extent of the problem and offers advice on how to protect yourself against seemingly endless variations of cyber fraud. So here is my conversation with Peregrine Stores Fox. Peregrine Stores Fox, welcome to the program. Thank you very much indeed. It's good to be here, Bob. Yeah, where are the biggest threats right now uh, in the world with regard to cyber risks throughout the supply chain? Well, I, I guess what we're seeing is uh, a variety of emerging risks. Uh, obviously, cybercrime has been around for quite some time, uh, but not necessarily targeting so much in the supply chain. And I, I guess what I'd see would be three primary risks. Uh, that have come to our attention anyway in the, the last year or so. Uh, the first would be the sort of use of internet to offer services that turn out to be fraudulent, um, and then generally, obviously, that leads to theft of goods. The second one that appeared more recently this year has been uh, relating, in a similar sort of way, an offer of service, but then leading to extortion that the goods won't be released at the, the destination without uh, some extra payment, which was unanticipated and uh, is 
beyond what would normally be paid for freight or other clearance charges. Uh, and then I think the, the third is uh, just the, the broader use of technology to infiltrate uh, supply chain systems in order to leverage the capability to transport goods or other illicit things uh, across borders. In the case of the first that you mentioned, what kinds of services are being offered? Uh, I, I think typically that would be uh, sort of freight forwarding and or trucking type services. So it, it's more, I've seen it quite a lot in Europe uh, and now in the States as well. And I know terminology can be uh, varied in terms of whether it's a freight forwarder or a truck broker or similar sorts of terms. So forgive me if I use more European terms. Uh, but it, it is those who are engaged in arranging the movement of goods from one place to another uh, on behalf of another party, generally obviously the, the cargo interests themselves. Uh, and it's typically also the instance where they're being asked to move goods from somewhere with, where they're less familiar with uh, that, that region. Uh, maybe that they don't have their own agent in the country or uh, the, the place uh, where the specific goods are coming from is uh, difficult to uh, attach to one of their existing networks in that sort of way. So uh, cargo clearing or similar load matching sites are the main exposure points for those sorts of operators. All right, so this in, uh, this invitation will come through the Internet, right? Most typically, yes. So uh, Not through phone or usual face-to-face sort of -face contact. It is generally the Internet. So are there really a number of companies out there that would engage the services of a so-called freight forwarder or whatever based entirely on an inter Internet invitation without wanting to meet them or somehow vet them in some way? Uh, well, our experience would seem to suggest that that is the case. Uh, and obviously, we, we at the TT Club have put out advice uh, fairly regularly around this to say, come on, guys, you, you need to put in place better due diligence and uh, subcontractor vetting procedures to make sure that you're not exposed in that sort of way. Uh, the, the typical situation that we come across is that it's uh, sort of uh, end-of-the-day type job, an urgent job, perhaps an end-of-week type job. And so uh, the human element comes in and people will duck the normal procedures as long as those procedures are in place to start with. So sometimes those procedures haven't been in place. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, as you kind of indicate, uh, it is somewhat surprising that uh, people don't make sure that they have verified as much as they possibly can uh, before giving their own reputation as well as the goods to some other third party. Now, does sometimes the invitation come uh, under the name of an established company, or are they or are they just companies that no one's ever heard of, but for some reason this the uh, the person who's buying services decides to trust them? Probably a little bit of the, the latter, but I, I think the greatest exposure is a name that sounds familiar. Now, it may be that it's slightly different. Um, and certainly we've seen a number of instances where the contact details uh, for a genuinely registered company uh, have been changed a little bit. So obviously the, the sort of electronic internet routing is going in a slightly different direction uh, and phone numbers are different. 
So it would seem that most of all, uh, the exposure is a sort of identity theft. Uh, a criminal has taken over the identity of someone who appears genuine and may be uh, somewhat known to the person who's making the contract. So generally it is a sort of uh, a false uh, identification of someone who you think you're doing, uh, dealing with in a normal sort of way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we've found that uh, criminals have actually bought up uh, failing companies, and that seems to have been, particularly in the last five or so years during the economic crisis, that uh, companies have uh, fallen out of trade and um, have been bought up by criminal organizations uh, and have carried on trading in a sort of virtually bankrupt situation uh, only to access their, their existing trade network and wait for the, the opportunity to uh, steal high-value goods uh, as and when that comes along. So a variety of things, but it is around identity theft uh, and uh, the, the quite quite often the, the details are similar enough to uh, delude someone without too much investigation. So the goal seems to be one of two things, either just to steal the goods outright or, as you say, to offer them back in kind of an extortion sort of situation? Is that what you meant by when you, when you said extortion? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one instance we uh, became aware of was uh, some shipments from China where the first few shipments came through fine. Uh, so the, the sort of new agent seems to be doing what was expected. Uh, and it was the third or the fourth um, shipment that came through and would not be released until um, extra payments had been made so that the documents couldn't be released and the, the freight forwarder at the destination wasn't able to collect the goods uh, from a port to be able to clear them and all the rest of it. I want to ask you also then about the, as you say, the broader use of technology, the use of spyware, the use of the practice of hacking into accounts to get information. Where is this happening the most in the supply chain and what kind of information uh, are these people seeking? Well, what, what we've seen up to this point has centered around uh, port infrastructure, uh, but I, I think that it can apply to any uh, busy logistic hub or warehousing or whatever, so that I, I don't think that anyone can think for a moment they're not exposed. Um, and the reality is, I think, that there is a lot of information, obviously, to do with uh, the nature of the goods, uh, their, their precise movement, um, how, how they're going through the supply chain, who's involved, as well as more directly release codes and things like that from a port or from, from a warehouse that become very valuable information for someone who uh, is intent on uh, using that, I, either to steal goods or, in fact, one of the instances which showed uh, to, to me a greater level of uh, of criminal organization seemed to be that the whole transaction, the whole transport had been uh, made up so that they could move, uh, in that instance, drugs through the supply chain, so cross-border. Now, we we haven't traced it all the way back, but we know that uh, what was released uh, in the particular port the cargo would appear not to be a genuine cargo, although obviously it was manifest as other things, uh, and we've not actually seen any cargo claim coming through on that, which 
kind of, uh, to us, indicates that there was something more going on that we haven't been able to dig right down to the depths of it. So, they'll, so they will be moving illicit materials through the supply chain under the name of a legitimate operator whose information system has been hacked. Yes, one or more operators. Now, obviously, because of the nature of the supply chain, you don't need to hack everyone's systems to be able to uh, enter goods into the supply uh, supply chain. So, in fact, you need virtually nothing really to uh, ring up a container line and say, I'd, I'd like to have n number of boxes uh, to move from this place to somewhere else. The, the lines are very eager to give out a box and why shouldn't they be? Um, and then there, there will be a, a bill of lading transaction or the rest of it. But there's no reason or no overt reason for someone at the point of entry into the supply chain to believe that those goods are not as they are, uh, or rather as they are manifest. And obviously there are other issues around dangerous goods or good packing or weight or whatever that may alert them, but as long as all those sorts of things kind of tie up, whatever it is, illicit goods can be entered into the supply chain very easily. Then there are case, cases, as you say, of outright theft where uh, companies are hacking, I mean, thieves are hacking into systems to obtain container numbers. They know mm-hmm. exactly what containers are on the ship or what's in a particular container so they can, in fact, be lying in wait for that box and be ready to steal it when it comes off the ship. Does that happen? That would appear to be happening, yes. Uh, that they, they're able to craft, uh, grasp the information uh, and identify what's necessary. And then uh, if the report facility isn't particularly uh, secure in terms of the, the IT infrastructure, then release codes and the like can be obtained, certainly. I want to take a moment for a message from our sponsor, Oliver White. For more than 40 years, companies have turned to Oliver White for our practical experience. Oliver White educators, coaches, and mentors can help bring your company to the level of Class A business excellence because they've done it themselves in their own companies. All of our principals have firsthand experience in operating and managing business processes to the highest standards. We don't just tell you how to improve business processes. We give you the knowledge to make it happen. Our unique approach is proven to work successfully. We transfer our extensive knowledge to you as you strive to operate your business more effectively by optimizing your supply chains. We provide detailed knowledge of best practices, show you how to implement them, coach you on ways to manage challenges, and mentor you to build competencies. After working with Oliver White, your company will be more competitive, responsive, and profitable. Find Oliver White online at www.oliverwhite-americas.com or by calling 800-258-3862. And now, back to the podcast. Another rather shocking thing that I read in your article for uh, TT Club was this idea of being able to actually contact drivers and redirect them with loads. And, of course, the driver would have no idea that the message is not legitimate. It's not really coming from the dispatch office. So, again, how common is that? 
that at this stage wouldn't appear to be common, um, but certainly there have been instances, and uh, I, I think it's a real concern that the way that messages are passed around can be intercepted and uh, then sort of false messages put through the system in a way that unless the individuals are alert to what's going on or the systems are particularly secure, then uh, there are issues there. So the, some have tried to overcome that with a kind of, well, the, the sort of traditional torn uh, bank note, the sort of $10 note or whatever, uh, that you know, only two halves would match uh, precisely. So in the sort of electronic environment that they'd look for a PIN number that would match with another algorithmic response PIN number. Uh, so there are technologies around that can help to overcome that. Wait a minute. What are you saying about the, about the 10-pound note? Is that a security measure imposed by a company, or is that something that the thieves are doing? I don't understand what you meant when you said splitting that. Sounds like okay, a spy sorry. movie. <laughs> maybe maybe so it's kind of a bit of a spy movie, but certainly um, in days gone by, then to verify a genuine transaction, then to have two halves of uh, a note in that sort of way that would only, you could match the two halves because of the numbers on the two ends, uh, then you'd know that you've got a genuine transaction. So it, I'm alluding to that as a means by which you can verify that uh, what is, you're being asked to do at that particular point is absolutely correct. So in other words, this is the technological or the, uh, in the digital version of that old practice being done in codes within computers that can be hacked and accessed by thieves. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I see. I wonder if there's also a problem in that um, companies, perhaps, when they are struck by thieves, are not eager to share that information with the public, and therefore we maybe don't hear enough about them, and we can't, we're not on the alert as much as we should be because they don't want to tell us what happened to them. Is that a problem? Almost definitely that is the case, yes. Uh, and you can understand it. It's a natural human nature to uh, try to sort the problem out and not not make it too public. Uh, obviously, we we say that uh, any company that is subject to a cyber attack needs to make sure their, their effective insurer knows what's going on and they make sure that any coverage is not prejudiced by, by whatever they want to do. Um, but also, they, they would be well advised to consider how and when to communicate with customers, not least because uh, secrecy will effectively be a false friend. They, they won't know unless they've investigated thoroughly how far the sort of malware or the sort of extraction of information has gone and whether it's uh, reached into third-party um, systems. Yeah. So it, it is actually it's something where I can understand the sensitivity, but actually it's hugely important to uh, be very careful to follow through all the trains so that they they know that they've kind of secured ring fence all possible avenues of the, the type of theft. When you see these events going on around the world, are they mostly uh, occurrences of theft and fraud? Are there also a lot of instances of industrial espionage or even other countries spying on other countries' companies such as the so-called secret Chinese army unit that's supposed to be housed somewhere in China, you know, hacking into uh, websites all over the place. Is that also a problem? 
Uh, I wouldn't really be able to comment on that, I'm afraid. Uh, what I've seen is related to theft and fraud, mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't seen any evidence, to be frank, that uh, sort of a government or a, a national entity has uh, been involved. It, it all seems to be uh, criminals, whether sort of acting in, in sort of fairly small gangs or much more organized crimes. All right, so let's talk about some solutions. What are your recommendations for what companies need to do to protect themselves and their cybersecurity? I think the first issue is to be aware of the risks um, and, and take them seriously. And that means a sort of CEO-type level at the top of the business needs to look at this sort of thing very carefully. Uh, obviously, businesses will have different exposures based on the sort of nature and the scope of their activities. Uh, so following from the awareness of what they are actually doing, they need to carry out uh, risk assessments. And uh, I guess, to, to my mind, I would say very specifically that should be an assessment of the sort of corporate culture as well, because the human element is hugely important. It's uh, both a, a pro and uh, a con in this event, because uh, a, a properly motivated staff person is actually more likely to be uh, the one who identifies what's going on, uh, but equally uh, sort of the, the right motivation within a company can be uh, to let, let information or goods out and therefore uh, a company needs to look very seriously at their own culture. Obviously beyond that, uh, sort of identified risks will lead to whether they need to address procedures, whether it's, uh, as I referred to earlier, the sort of supplier due diligence side of things, uh, or in terms of more of a corporate culture, sort of whistleblowing and rewards and those sorts of things, uh, or, or indeed IT infrastructure, and that could be sort of physical issues around IT, or it could be uh, implementing more effective uh, management information dashboards to alert management as to unusual activity. So would that be, in your opinion, a, a best practice? I mean, could you talk about some other best practices that you've seen out there among companies that you think really are doing a very good job of protecting against uh, incursions? Yeah, essentially, I, I kind of summarize that as sort of awareness uh, and then ensuring that procedures, risk assessments, due diligence are all in there, uh, and they, they really do understand their, their own culture. And I guess the, the basic bottom line is to say that while it's always uncomfortable, um, companies cannot afford to accept anything at face value. Everything needs to be followed through in a sort of very careful, uh, investigative sort of way. Now, I know that TT Club itself does not develop or sell in any way um, technological solutions to help protect uh, supply chains, but are there, is there a whole class, I assume, there's a whole class of technology out there that is intended for this exact purpose, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's plenty of technology, um, and also, uh, as we're primarily an insurer, there are other insurers who provide uh, coverages for this sort of exposure. Mm -hmm. um, and those technologies will carry on sort of improving and changing. I, I think my concern will be that the, the criminal mind uh, where the return is uh, expected to be high will invest even more aggressively, more heavily, 
uh, in the technology. So uh, I think it's a matter of being a, well, it's a sort of cat and mouse trying to uh, keep as as close to where the, the criminals are going as possible. So it's, it's, it's just a constant battle, isn't it? Finding holes and plugging them, and the criminals find new holes and plugging them again. It doesn't seem like we're ever going to reach the point where we could sit back confidently and say our systems are 100% secure. I, I certainly would warn against any sort of complacency like that. I, I think that even the smartest, best uh, system can actually be broken into with uh, the right motivation and time and resource put into it. You mentioned two documents in your article here that I think are important to mention uh, here as, as good tools or good guidelines to protection. One is uh, Kroll's Global Fraud Report, which identifies key questions to be asked. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes to this, uh, to this podcast. And the other is TT Club's own handbook, Supply Chain Security Management Initiatives and Technologies. What does that contain and how can that help? Uh, it's a handbook we put together three, four years ago, and I guess it was looking at our terminal uh, ports and terminal type incidents in particular. Um, and I guess fundamentally we were heavily recommending that people look at the ISO security standard, ISO 28000, um, and use that as a basis by which they can go through a process to ensure that uh, everything is covered off uh, as well as they can because it, it is, to my mind, a lot about human management. The process is the way to ensure that uh, things are always checked through and it's a continuous improvement process. It isn't just a tick box. And that, that's one of the issues I have with some of the security programs uh, internationally, that it's a sort of tick box approach that just looks at a snapshot in time, but this is a continuing issue. So the, the publication was trying to encourage people to follow a sort of ISO standard and then looked at some of, uh, as more information, the initiatives that were in place at that point, so CT pass and things like that, uh, and then technologies around uh, CCTV or some of the system stuff and access controls, those sorts of things. Now, to, to be honest, the, the initiatives and the technologies become, to some extent, data stamped. Um, but the principle around the ISO standard absolutely carries on, and we recommend very strongly that people look at it seriously. Yeah, and of course, it's very important, is it not, to enlist one's outside supply chain partners in this effort, because a supply chain is, by definition, a collection of independent companies. And if you have no amount of internal controls are going to save you if you're not also ensuring those controls among your partners as well, right? Absolutely. Well, Peregrine Stores Fox, thank you so much for taking some time to explain to us some of the cyber risks in the supply chain out there. Uh, it's been a very valuable discussion. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Paul. It's a pleasure. Closing message from our sponsor, Oliver White. Oliver White, educators, coaches, and mentors can help bring your company to the level of Class A business excellence because they have done it themselves at their own companies. All of our principals have extensive first-hand experience in operating and managing business processes to the highest standards. We provide detailed knowledge of best practices, show you how to implement them, coach you on ways to manage challenges, and mentor you to build competencies. 
After working with Oliver White, your company will be more competitive, responsive, and profitable. Find Oliver White, that's W-I-G-H-T, online at www.oliverwhite-americas.com or by calling 800-258-3862. That was Peregrine Stores Fox of the TT Club talking about cybercrime and the supply chain. Hope you enjoy the show. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. See you next time.